In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and begin with Scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip, that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to the St. Philip Institute podcast, where we talk about how to live and teach the Catholic faith to those that we encounter, whether it's um, the people in our own home, people we meet on the streets, uh, people in our CCD classes or faith formation classes, uh, just bringing the beauty of the truth of our faith to the people that we come in contact with. Uh, your host today are myself, Mickey Seba. I am the catechetical specialist here at the St. Philip Institute and my co-host... I'm Luke Arredondo, Director of Faith Formation for the St. Philip Institute. And I'm Deanna Johnston, the Director of Family Life for the St. Philip Institute. And my Associate Director, my son, <laughs> Leo Johnston, is, is joining us for, I guess, what will be his first podcast episode. Yeah. So if you hear little baby grunts, <laughs> if, you're, if you're listening on iTunes or something and you don't see on, on YouTube, we have a baby here. That's a real Leo. live one. A real, yeah, real live, live baby. One. How old is he again? Uh, seven weeks. Tomorrow. Oh my goodness, yeah. precious! So this morning I had baby therapy. It was a beautiful thing. Just got to hold him, and all the worries of the world just faded there away. You go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so today, what we're going to talk about is the Annunciation. Uh, March twenty fifth is the Feast of the Annunciation. Uh, in a minute, I'll sort of read the story from Scripture on where it is. But every March 25th, nine months before December 25th, the celebration yeah. of the birth of Jesus, we celebrate this feast. So today we're just going to um, go through it, unpack it, talk about other scriptural references in the Bible. We're going to talk about the importance of Mary's response to um, the angel Gabriel and to to God, um, and then also talk about um, what we as people can do, can learn what we can learn from Mary as um, the model disciple. So before we really dive deep into it, we're just gonna I'm gonna read it from Scripture. So this is taken from Luke chapter one, starting at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I have no husband? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your kinswoman Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. It's from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And what um, a beautiful story. Um, So I just want to just open it up for what are some things in the story, I guess, that caught your attention or things that you want to highlight as we sort of talk about this important feast of the Annunciation and its significance in the church. One of the things I think that's interesting is when the Feast of the Annunciation is in March, right, it's usually, um, or often is in Lent, uh, that reading we normally think of as being connected with, or I do, with Advent, right? We hear it Mm -hmm. around Advent, around Christmas. Um, To think of it in a different time of the year almost feels weird. Like, this this isn't (laughs) the time to think about Jesus' birth, but it's not about his birth, Right. right, It's about the coming of his birth, exactly. the Annunciation, because it's going to happen later. Um, so that's just, it, it feels even strange to think about it out, out of that season. Uh, but the, uh, one of the things that jumped out to me as you were reading just now is this royal imagery of the house of David, of a kingdom, um, that this is not just a son that's going to be born, but the son of David, right? He's going to receive the throne of his father David. Um, and it's referring to the Davidic promises, which of course collapsed, right? In the Old Testament, the story of David is so so magnificent, uh, and then his son Solomon succeeds him, and everything just crumbles. But the promise made to David and to the Davidic kingdom was supposed to last forever. And so we're now finally, you can just see in, in with the presence of David's name in there and, and the, the idea of a kingdom that for a Jew hearing this in the first century, it would have such a, such a lofty meaning. Um, and so it's not just about a baby. This is about God's people mm. finally receiving the heir to that throne that was never supposed to have gone away. And this time, of course, we know now, it, it won't. Um, so that's just something that jumped out at me to start with. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I never – I mean, I um, – I had known that, but I guess with uh, people hearing that the, this um, this kingdom, right, that the father of David, um, that the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, the, just that phrase and the significance that the people who heard that would have uh, felt at that time, um, I guess I forget about the significance that it would have to the culture because we're looking yeah. at it from our perspective mm-hmm. um, and not uh, our perspective from Christ has already come. Um, but what it would have been, I don't know. I don't even know if I would have been like, oh, yeah, the time is here. Like, would I have doubted? Would I have uh, yeah. really been like, oh, my gosh, it's, it's coming? Right. I, what's, what, would, what is that even going to look like? Because they had been waiting for it for thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. No, there's so much significance to that. And, and this happens in the beginning of Luke's gospel in a bunch of ways. There's a lot of Old Testament allusions, uh, but also happens in Matthew's gospel and the genealogy accounts, very mm-hmm. similar sort of thing. If you're kind of clued into uh, the salvation history of Israel, then things are going to jump out at you in a different way. Um, 
And that's one of the real fundamental things about reading the Bible, about studying the Bible, uh, is that you can't just read a part, even though we're focusing on this <laughs> one event, to appropriately understand that one event, you have to have some idea of the connections the going backwards mm -hmm. and going forward. So the kingdom of God goes on to eternity, but the people of God precede it, and they're all wrapped together in this one, um, well, in any passage that you're looking right. at. So this is why St. Augustine said that the Old Testament, you know, is revealed in the New, and the New is hidden in the Old. That's a really important principle for us as Catholics to read the Bible, or Christians, but Catholics especially, we, we, we cherish this idea that you need to read the, the, the scriptures in their unity, so that the Old Testament can't be interpreted apart from the New, and the New can't be read without a basis in the Old. Very, right. very important. Yeah. One of the things I do, because I, I like to have that personal connection, and that's how I learn, and sort of um, when I meditate on Scripture, I like to think about, like, if I was in the moment, which I know is always faulty because I never grew up in that time or that culture, and there's definitely things that I don't understand, but what would have been the experience of the people there? And so what I, what I want us to, to sort of dive into or to look at is um, from the perspective of Mary. Mm -hmm. Now, her situation is tremendously different because um, of her role in salvation history um, and that she was uh, without the stain of original sin. And so to some extent, we'll never be able to fully understand sort of her perspective. But what are some things that um, from this scripture passage that we see in relation to Mary, maybe how the angel greets her or some of her responses or what she mm -hmm. says or what she does um, during this, this passage? I know that one thing that's always struck me with this is how she responds to the angel, because on the surface, it seems very similar to how Zechariah answered, and we know how that played out for, <laughs> for Zechariah. Um, and I can't, and it, I probably should have pulled out exactly what Zechariah said, but she asks, like, how can this be? And it seems like Zechariah asks something very similar, but really um, what, what, like the the disposition of, of Mary or her attitude is is very different from Zechariah's in that Mary is coming at this from like okay this is gonna happen what do you want me to do like what what's the plan like mm -hmm. she she knows that she needs to receive instruction in order to make it happen whereas Zechariah is more like I don't know how is this gonna happen um, and. Yeah, that's. I, I've always thought that that's that's really interesting. That that she she asks a question, and it's like it's okay to ask a question, but yeah. there has to be total trust. There has to be total reliance on on God's providence. Yeah, Ed Sree has a great little book called Dawn of the Messiah, which I intended to bring today to hold up, but I, I left <laughs> it on my kitchen counter. We'll put it um, yeah. <laughs> he, he says that the difference between John and Mary is that they both have a question, or not John, Zechariah and Mary, they both ask a question of the angel, uh, but, the, but it's the disposition, right? John, uh, Zechariah is questioning uh, whether or not this can be possible for his wife and him to have a child in their old age. And Mary's questioning not the possibility, but the mechanism. Mm -hmm. So she knows she's well, willing to accept that it will happen, but doesn't understand how. Whereas John, I keep saying John, Zechariah <laughs> seems not able to accept that it could happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's, Sorry. Yeah. So no, I was going to say for our listeners and um, 
And I know we seem to be very familiar with these stories, but maybe some people who are listening for the first time may not be familiar where Zechariah falls in this whole scheme. Yeah. So um, in the Gospel of Luke, the um, birth of John the Baptist is foretold right, befo- right before the birth of Jesus is foretold. And so um, Elizabeth and Zechariah were old in age, um, believed to be barren, couldn't have kids. And so um, just to sort of put things into perspective so people can understand, do either one of you want to sort of just summarize what happened just for our listeners out there who are like, maybe I don't really know that story. Yeah, I'll take a stab at it. Uh, So Zechariah and uh, Mary are, are linked here in this telling. Luke's gospel uh, kind of wraps together the Annunciation, if you want to call it, of, of John the Baptist and the Annunciation of Jesus, and then the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so the, fig- the key figures are Mary on one hand and Zechariah. The angel Gabriel visits both of them uh, when, they are, when they are alone. Uh, both Zechariah and Mary are troubled uh, because apparently angels are freaking scary. Um, and Gabriel says to them, do not be afraid. Then announces a miraculous birth that uh, Elizabeth in her old age is going to bear a child. And Mary in her virginity is going to bear a child. He, Gabriel gives the name for both John and for Jesus uh, and predicts that both children will be great. Um, Zechariah is offering incense uh, in, in the temple, um, which only... One person gets to do once a year, and it's a very big deal. He's in there evidently for a long time, and people don't want to know what happened. Why were you in there for so long? You know, because he's had this encounter with an angel, and, and he's and he's terrified. And then, of course, he's also struck mute, um, which is the, which is of course the big difference. But that they're intentionally wound together, the the story of their uh, their annunciation, then their birth, and then even their early years. You see, uh, very very close parallel between both of their lives because they're. They're related. Their mission and purpose mm-hmm. is related. Zechariah is going to uh, have the son John the Baptist who will announce the coming of the Lord. And then, of course, Jesus is that Lord who's going to be announced. So there, you can't understand one without the other. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just wanted to put things into perspective for our listeners out there. And one of the things that I was reading um, in regards to the, the differences between Mary's reaction um, and Zechariah, so their question, is um, it said that... The difference between both of their questions um, is that Zechariah wanted proof, and Mary wanted instruction. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. And I just, for me, I thought that was really powerful because um, I looked at lots of different commentary. And so then, even in our own life, when um, God promises that something is mm-hmm. going to happen, are we like prove it, or are we like I trust you? So what do I need to do? Step. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah, that's really big. Um, one of the other things that I did want to touch on, too, was how the angel Gabriel, um, how he addresses Mary, because that also is significant to um, the teaching of, of the Church of the Immaculate uh, Conception. So I just wanted to dive into that um, just a little bit, because I do think it's important. So when the angel Gabriel um, greets Mary, he says, Hail Mary. And then in some translations, it says, Full of Grace or hell favored one. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that I was reading, I'm trying to find it here in my notes because um, it just sounded better when I wrote it in my notes. But he said, I can't find it right now, but it said um, that 
the Greek word there, and you may know this. I know the Greek word. Okay. It's, it's keikari tomine. <laughs> you know. I knew that. Actually, yeah. I, I can't tell you what it means, <laughs> literally, but that's the Greek word. If you're only going to know one Greek word, no, that that's one. keikari tomine. That's very a good, good one. one. <laughs> I knew you would know it. Um, <laughs> this guy knows everything. So what I was reading, and it talked about how... Um, that that title that she is favored it's not it was something that she had already received um that she was prepared for already that the she had fully received the grace of god and and that was even um going to continue to the present and the future Mm. that it wasn't that this greeting was not something that was happening in that moment but that word say it again keikari tomine that one um was like the perfect tense of an action that had already occurred previously. Wow. And so in our understanding of Mary, right, and why that title is so important is because part of our belief um, about Mary in the Immaculate Conception is that Mary, when she was conceived in the womb of her mother, Mm -hmm. that God from the very moment of her birth was was already saved. Of her conception. Of her conception, sorry. Of her conception was already saved by Christ, um, but before the announcement of his birth, right? That it was happened at the moment of her conception. And so this title and how the angel greets her is significantly important. but I just thought that was a kind of a, a neat thing to sort of bring up and to draw people's attention to. Yeah, um, Fulton Sheen, uh, when he talks about the Annunciation, says we have to we have to know the Immaculate Conception for the Annunciation to make sense. We're, it 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 is the Immaculate Conception that shows God planning and preparing for the possibility of Mary being his mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he talks about uh, a famous painting of, of Whistler. It's a painting of his mother. He was supposed to have a model come in and sit, and he was going to paint this model, and the model didn't show up for whatever reason. So his mother volunteered to sit for the portrait. And so Whistler painted this portrait of his mother, and people, it was one of his most famous paintings, and people asked him, like, how, you know, how did you do it? And he said, oh, you know how it is. You want to make your mom look as good as you possibly can. Uh, and so Fulton Sheen says, and that's just an artist. Right? It's just an artist who was painting his mom, and he wanted his mom to look nice. Imagine if you were God and you could create your mother. <laughs> Wouldn't you make her perfect? Right? Wow. And this is, yeah. and so this is what, what uh, God does with Mary. He uh, prevents her from receiving original sin so that when she is asked to be his mother, right, to become the, the mother of the Word incarnate, she has this freedom to say yes. Um, so yeah, those those two are closely connected. Uh, they don't make sense in without each other in a yeah. certain way. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So as we move on, is there anything else sort of in in that that you guys wanted to address before sort of moving on to a little bit more of her her response and what that means and her freedom um, before we jump into that? I want to say one thing about the, just the Gospel of Luke in general. Uh, and that's that there is a tradition within the church that uh, Mary end, ended her life in Ephesus, right? After, after the events of the gospel, she, she moves to Ephesus and, and remains there in, until she is assumed into heaven. Um, one of the, the theories and, and possibilities about the authorship of Luke's gospel is that Luke was able to get some of this insight. These, these events, the Annunciation... Uh, the details here are not narrated in any, any of the other Gospels. One of the possibilities is that Luke was able to visit Mary in Ephesus 
and talk to her about this. Now, it's not something we can necessarily definitively demonstrate, um, but I think it is just so, there's just some sweetness to it uh, to think about. I mean, imagine getting to ask any mother about the circumstances of the birth of their child, right? Mm -hmm. Even if you have many children, you will remember Mm -hmm. something about, something unique about the birth of each one of them. Well, what if you're the mother of the Son of God, right? (laughs) (laughs) And the only child you gave birth to was the Messiah. How how would you remember that? And and so I think reading through these these stories, not just this, also the finding in the temple and some of the mm. other scenes where Mary is present uh, in Luke's gospel that you don't see elsewhere, uh, to to think of them even if they're not, but I think they are to think of them as like stories that Mary told Luke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and wonder how hard was it to get these stories out of her, you know? Did she want to tell them or was she trying to be modest? Like, I, I don't know. But it's fascinating to meditate on on that aspect of it, of a mom telling stories about uh, the birth of her own son. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, and I know that this, this um, fails in comparison to Mary and the mother of Jesus, right, our Savior. But... Um, but just talking about like a mother's experience, I, I feel like I would, um, just another sort of story of the glory of God sort of in my own life. So the Feast of the Annunciation is something that's really, really special to our family. Um, not just as a church family, but as my own individual family with my husband and my children, uh, because we had been um, struggling with infertility for many, many years. And we just started praying. We're like, okay, Lord, we don't know how this is going to happen, but we are open to a child in whatever manner you wish to, to give us one, if that is your will. And um, we consider it miraculous. And so on March 25th, we had started the adoption process um, like during our home study and everything. And then on March 25th, we received a phone call from um, a nurse who was a um, who worked at an OBGYN's office, but her daughter was one of my students. So my daughter's birth mom walked into this office, um, like 30 weeks pregnant, um, consider, uh, seriously considering adoption, and was telling the doctors about this. Well, they had known from her, uh, the nurse had known from her daughter that we were looking because I'd asked all of my students to pray for us that we were starting this journey. And then on um, March 25th, we got the phone call from this nurse and she said, we hear that you're, um, you want to adopt. Is that, is that right? And I'm like, uh, yes. And she's like, would you be interested in speaking to this birth mother? And it was just like, for us so crazy and and my husband looked at me and he said if it's a boy we have to name it gabriel and if it's a girl it has to be mary and at first for me it didn't click like what he's like today is march 25th (laughs) and so um so we always at our home for the feast of the annunciation um so it was a girl so we have our daughter mary and um uh so we heard about her on march 25th she was born may 5th so yeah, wow. yeah, we had it was Whoa. like it was like she was announced to us, and we're like, oh, we don't, most people have like nine or ten months to prepare for this. What are we gonna do? But it was just a beautiful thing, and so my wow. daughter loves my my daughter loves saying, oh, it's it's Mama Mary's feast day. That's also my feast day, and that's, so that's um, beautiful. So I can't even um, so, and I try to think of of two in this story, like just. 
like when I talk about it, how my soul just like fills mm. with with this joy and this like man. Look Does at your how... soul proclaim the greatness of the Lord? <laughs> yes, and my spirit rejoices in God, God my Savior. Savior. <laughs> yes, it does. See, you did there. I nice. like it. <laughs> and um, so, uh, but I also think about then um, Mary in this moment um, because she she was a faithful Jew, mm-hmm. pious. She would have been familiar with scripture and the promise of the Messiah. And mm-hmm. so I know it doesn't really talk about like what she was feeling um, in that moment, but I just take my experience and like, okay, so this experience, but then looking at Mary, like she she yeah. had known the things that were um, prophesied about the Messiah. And then in this moment when the angel announces to her, Okay, this the time has come not just for right. you to have a child, but for right. um, the age of the Messiah to be ushered in, and like what that would have in, entailed for her, like the the joy or the sorrow or yeah. the what is this going to look yes. like? And so um, sometimes it is fun is such a weird word, but that's the only one I could think of. But it's fun for me to think of her in that moment. And what that would have been like, and I'm sure every time a, a couple hears that of the the announcement of their child, however that happens, right. there can be that sort of similar experience. And I think you know we see in scriptures that uh, there's this, this this phrase that Mary kept all these things in her heart. Mm-hmm. Right? We don't get a lot of words from Mary. Um, so the annunciation happens, and she finds out Elizabeth is also pregnant. It is the six months for her who was called barren, and she makes immediately a 70 mile journey to to visit elizabeth and to help her in that in the third trimester um and then we get one of the largest the the biggest group of words from mary in the magnificat so i I, I, as you were talking there i thought man i bet it took her a long time to think of how to process it and probably during that 70 mile trip (laughs) she was just thinking about it and praying about it and that is her answer about how she's feeling, you know, is, yeah. is that, that beautiful prayer um, in the Magnificat, which is what we were, if you don't know, if you don't get the inside joke, that's what I was asking uh, Mickey about <laughs> a, a minute ago. Yeah. So um, I don't actually remember where um, I had to find it so I can give you guys accurate um, Bible passages for you to read it. But the Magnificat, it is a beautiful prayer. I'll find it while someone else is talking here in a minute so I can be sure that I give you the correct um, I have it printed out here, but I do not have the Bible verses on it. But but Mary, her song of praise, um, it, it does talk about how um, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Um, and, and there's a lot more great things in there, and I won't, I won't read the whole thing. But one of the things that struck me about that and, and also something that I was reading in terms of um, – the Annunciation, uh, I read a lot of like St. Uh, Alphonsus Liguori and what he has to say, and he really talks about Mary's humility, that her yeah. virtue of humility was um, so key in her ability to listen to the angel, to respond the way that she did, but to also be like, but all of this um, would not be possible without right. God, that I am his lowly servant and my soul magnifies the Lord because it's, and it's not my doing, but it's his. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and I just thought that, that was, that was beautiful. So, 
All right, so right now what I want to do is talk a little bit about how Mary responded to the angel and sort of what she said. So who who of you wants to take that one? I'll, I'm going to let Deanna do that. I've been talking too much. <laughs> okay, so we see in uh, verse Luke chapter 1, verse 38, she says, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And sometimes I think there can be this perception that Mary is like, okay, whatever. And, um, and others who, um, who think that, well, okay, well, Mary just said yes to being an incubator, but that could not be further from the truth. There's so much more, um, behind her. Yes. That fiat mihi. Did I say that right? I think that's how you say okay, it. Okay, cool. I'll just say it with confidence. <laughs> the fiat mihi. Um, then just like, yeah, I'll, I'll be a womb for the son of God. Um, and really, that that yes, we can think of it as undoing the no of Eve, mm. right? So we've heard um, Mary referred to as the new Eve and Jesus as the new Adam, right? So we think about what Eve's disobedience <laughs> did. It, right. it it brought in, you know, original sin, all of this. And Mary's yes undoes the no of, of Eve, that not of disobedience. And it's through that yes that the word is able to become flesh, right? Mm-hmm. The word is made flesh because Mary says yes, right? And redemption, and this is this is crucial to the plan of salvation and the, the redemptive work of, of Christ. And... Um, the the fiat is is something that she that she carries really all throughout the life of Christ because she's she's not just saying yes again to to being the womb of Christ but she's saying yes to being the mother the mother of Christ the mother of God mm-hmm. yeah. and so she is very very much tied to Christ's ministry. So then if you jump to uh, like John chapter two, the wedding at Cana, and it's Mary that really like pushes Jesus to to begin his ministry. So and there's there's a lot of beautiful theology um, about you know Jesus um, and his hour coming and um, when he refers to Mary as woman mm-hmm. when when she yeah. says, hey, can you can you do this thing for this couple? Um, and Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. Um, Mary says, do whatever he tells you and and in that she's she's the only one who can really usher in that hour, right? Because she said yes at the very beginning, um, and it's with that yes that causes Jesus and the waiters to act in John chapter two. Yeah. Um, and really, she's the only one that has that authority to ask Christ to begin that ministry towards the cross. So, so not only is she tied to to Christ from the moment of, of his conception, but she's journeying with him all the way to the cross and she's ushering in that that hour. But I just I really love that 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 yes is is so powerful and the authority that that's behind it and that really she she had to have that freedom to say yes or no right. <laughs> she could have said no um and that that's that's really key to her her role in salvation now could i sort of press the question a little bit because some people may say well if what you say about the immaculate conception is true and she is free of original sin could she have said no to god Absolutely. She'd be more free to say no because she's not being pulled by original sin, right? Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of times we think of freedom as, as having um, 
an, an emptiness, right? We don't have anything that we must do. We're free from any obligation, free from any sort of authority. Um, Mary has more freedom than anybody has ever had because she's not been, uh, she didn't have to deal with original sin, right? Mm -hmm. So she didn't have to deal with, is this thing that I want to do really good or is it only an apparent good that I'm attracted to because of my wounded nature? Um, so no, she has complete and authentic freedom and, and it's that authentic freedom that leads her to submit herself to God. Um, and this is the, the, the mystery and the paradox of freedom um, that, that is expressed, can you guess by who? Fulton Sheen, uh, in this lovely book that we don't sell and I won't make any money off of, but The World's First Love, uh, great book. He says that freedom is not an absence of responsibility or an absence of rules. It's not getting away from something unless you're getting away from something, so you are being freed from something in order to be free for something else. Mm -hmm. And the freedom from original sin allows Mary to be freely giving herself for the motherhood of Christ, right? Mm -hmm. To not just give a baby to God, mm -hmm. but be his mother. Um, and when you were talking about Mary sort of pushing Jesus at the at the you know wedding at Cana, it made me think of like, and this doesn't make any sense, but uh, you know, like if if you have a, a junior high kid at a dance or something, and like saying it's time, like come on, go ahead, don't just be nervously standing here. I right. can sort of imagine Jesus at the wedding seeing that they're out of wine and being like, I don't know, and his mom saying, come on, you know. But it, you bring up the him calling her woman there, right? Is another indication that like she is standing in for Eve, right? She is the woman. Um, and this this reversal of of Eve and 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 Mary, right? In creation, Adam is created first. Out of Adam, Eve is made. Mm -hmm. Eve leads to the Eve sort of is the originator originator of the disobedience, and then Mary completely undoes that all in a backwards fashion. Exactly. It's beautiful because she says yes to God rather than no. She's there first, and then from her comes the new Eve. Um, yeah, yeah. So there, there's this this element of human freedom for Mary is, yes, she has real and authentic freedom, but she also, because she doesn't have original sin, knows what to do with it. Yeah. Mm. And that's yeah. that's the thing that, that a lot of times we don't know what to do with. We have so many freedoms that we're, we're sick of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think once people start listening to this podcast, they'll realize that anything of intelligence I have to say, I read from someone else who's way smarter and holier than me, but I'm going to talk about something that Pope Benedict wrote um, because I do think it's brilliant and I think it ties all this stuff together. Um, but he talks about in his book, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, Jesus of Nazareth um, the infancy narratives. So one of the things mm -hmm. he says, he says, in one of his Advent homilies, Bernard of Clairvaux offers a stirring presentation of the drama of this moment, the Annunciation and all that unfolded there. After the error of our first parents, the whole world was shrouded in darkness under the dominion of death. Now God seeks to enter the world anew. He knocks at Mary's door. He needs human freedom. The only way he can redeem man who was created free is by means of a free yes to his will. In creating freedom, he made himself, in a certain sense, dependent upon man. His power is tied to the unenforceable yes of a human being. 
So Bernard portrays heaven and earth as it were holding its breath at this moment mm. of the question addressed to Mary. Will she say yes? Mm. Uh, she hesitates. Will her, will her humility hold her back? Just this once, Bernard tells her, Do not be humble but daring. Give us your yes. This is the crucial moment when from her lips, from her heart, the answer comes. Let it be done to me according to your word. It is the moment of free, humble, yet magnanimous obedience in which the loftiest choice of human freedom is made. I love that. I love that. Wow. I mean, there is a lot in there, but just as you guys are are saying that, I'm like, um, and the way that he that he talks about like in mm. this um, in this moment and, and God in a sense is is dependent upon the freedom yep. of her choice mm-hmm. and um, yeah it's just mind blowing and I think maybe you could make <laughs> that part of a little <laughs> reflection to really try to unpack everything mm, that's oh, yeah. in there but two and I like what you were saying about because she doesn't have um, you know original sin. Um, I think sometimes we either fail to act because um, we don't have the freedom um, or we're trying to seek freedom of something scary, mm-hmm. right? Something hurtful or something really challenging or where we're like, I don't know how this is all going to play out. Mm-hmm. And those things, um, and I think for us, are, are, um, are wanting to be free from fear is because we want to control things, right? That there's some mm, sort of yeah. that there's some sort of disorder in the way that we want things to work out. Yeah. And Mary doesn't have that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. her um, her thoughts are ordered towards the the, the goodness of God's plan, whereas mm. ours are not, because we do right. have all of these other. Yeah. Right. And she trains Jesus in that freedom, right? And it's human nature. Um, this. Guy. Um, he says that one of the one of the mysteries of Christ's life that we often don't think enough about is all of the the years of his life before he engages in his public ministry, right? So, so the most important thing about Jesus is that he comes to redeem us and he dies on the cross to do so, right? So Fulton Sheen puts it this way: that Jesus spent three hours redeeming us. He spent three hours or three day um, three years teaching us in his ministry, but he spent 30 years living in obedience to his parents, mm-hmm. right? And then so that this this kind of thing that, that you were just talking about, Mickey, is precisely what in his human nature he would have to, to, to learn to do, to mean, namely to accept the way things are going to work out rather than try to control them, right? And you see this with the temptation um, with Jesus in the desert that like, you don't have to suffer all these things. If you will just submit to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Mm-hmm. And it's much easier. It's much nicer. It's not as messy. Uh, but that's not. But that's not what his mom taught him, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I think that's really, really beautiful to think of Mary taking this giant yes, this 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 very active fiat. I was looking at a New Testament commentary yesterday. It said the the Greek language of Mary's word saying yes. Is, is a passive is, is an active and not mm-hmm. passive uh, construction. Uh, she takes that giant positive yes, I will do this, and then has to spend the rest of her life preparing her son to do the same. It's mm-hmm. really really beautiful. And there's and, and there's a connection between her fiat, uh, the fiat of creation, and then Christ's fiat. So Fulton Sheen, <laughs> if 
you can guess. It says there's three great f- fiats in the universe. The first is fiat Luke's let there be light. Then Mary, fiat Miki voluntas tua, let it be done according to thy word. And then Jesus on the cross saying, fiat voluntas tua, your will be done and not mine. Mm. That's and they're a- all wrapped together beautifully. Sorry, I was just giggling because our, our film guys are like, Sheen, counter. <laughs> Which I think is awesome. Maybe we should start doing that as people listen to the, the podcast we that Luke's on. We can do a blooper like, reel. Uh, <laughs> Fulton Sheen, every time I see Fulton Sheen, that would be good. Uh, that's awesome. Sorry, that was like, that was brilliant and funny, but I feel like I now just um, got everyone off track. Um, but, uh, but I do think focusing on, on Mary's fiat and her yes and what we can what we can uh learn from that because really um for for god's plan to unfold it was to, it was you know dependent on on the, like this question right mm-hmm. or her response to that and but i do believe that it was like also a, a continual yes mm-hmm. right and all of the things throughout the life of jesus and um even in our own our own lives and our own stories. And I know this is something we like to do on our podcast is like take a lot of this theology that maybe we've talked about mm-hmm. and these thoughts from scripture and, and what can, like what does that mean now for right. someone living in this time, in this age? Because um, there's only, I mean, we're all called to be disciples of Christ, but there's only one who is ever called or will ever be called to be the mother of God, right? The mother of Jesus. Yeah. And that that role belongs to Mary. And that's why, we hold her to such a great honor. Catholics don't worship Mary. Right. We hold um, tremendous honor because of her role in salvation history, because God chose her for such a time mm-hmm. as that, that that was the role that she would, that he called her to. And so sometimes I think for us, we're like, okay, well, I'm never going to be called to be, you know, the mother of Jesus. So what does that mean for me living in our day and age? Right. Uh, as far as sort of um, idea of fiat and freedom, um, right. you guys have anything to offer? Well, you were talking about her being like a model of discipleship. I mean, she's the first disciple. She's the first one to say yes to Jesus in this way. And um, like what you were saying earlier about her being able to let go of control, because that's, that's what hangs us up a lot of times when it comes to accepting God's will in our lives that we want to control every aspect or instead of, you know, trusting that God has a plan and being able to surrender that with to that with humility, it's more like Zechariah, like, God, really? Like, this is what you're calling me to? Um, and we may need to be mute um, like him, but um, that we can look at Mary's fiat as this, this beautiful but active um, obedience and and total trust. Like you're not just saying yes to um, like oh I'll watch your dog <laughs> over the weekend. I'm you're she's saying yes to this huge thing. Like we were saying earlier, she would have understood like okay the Messiah is coming mm-hmm. and I have a really big role in in all of that, and that's very overwhelming. And I think for us in our in our vocations, we think like as as parents, even like God's called me to be mm. a wife and a mother, and that that can feel like a lot sometimes. Mm-hmm. But being able to 
surrender again and just um, to, to be able to say, like, Lord, I'm going to say yes to you in this moment. And even if it's a moment by moment thing, um, you know, like uh, with with Mary, um, I don't know if, if she would have understood the depth of her yet, like the the pain that was going to come with her yes when she said yes because you think of like Simeon and Luke you may have a better understanding of of like how that's all connected um but that she's she's constantly reminded of how serious this yes is she says yes at the annunciations she says yes again when when at the during the presentation it, it almost seems like that that he's telling her you know your 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 heart will be pierced with the sword um, and then she keeps all of these things on her heart, et cetera. But, but yeah, is there, is there like a connection with, with, with all of that? Or, you know, like the, the yes from, from the Annunciation, knowing the depth of the pain there and, and then all the way to the cross. One of the, the suggestions that we have in, in the history of the church in terms of Mariology is that this is, this is why there's a, a theory that Mary didn't experience the pains of childbirth mm. uh, because her, her job was going to reach its climax in terms of its its difficulty, its challenge, and its suffering at the end of Christ's life uh, in this dramatic fashion that no one else presumably is going to have to mm-hmm. experience, uh, that she would see her son suffer and die in this really cruel fashion, and in, in a public uh, spectacle was made of it, uh, and so that God prevents her from having the normal suffering of, of childbirth at the beginning to sort of uh, give her, give her um, like, consolations in the spiritual life, right, that prepare you for the desolation. Mm-hmm. So you, you think of something like Mother Teresa in, in early in her spiritual life, there was a lot of consolation. Um, and then as she began to have success in, in her order growing and the movement that she founded was just, just spreading and doing tremendous work, I don't know if you've read any of her, her letters, but she, she experienced 50 years of dryness in her mm. spiritual life where she questioned things like, did God even really exist, right? This tremendous pain. Something like that, but on a much grander scale, happens for Mary. So at the beginning of her life, at the beginning of not her life, but of Jesus' life, she experiences childbirth, possibly, without <laughs> any pain. And then as her life and her son's life go closer and closer to the cross— then she begins to to see yeah, and finally experience that pain. So that's, I mean, that's one of the suggestions that we have. Um, and and it's you know it's like most people's lives are you you you're born and then like you sort of just gradually die and it just kind of happens. You don't know when. For Jesus, his birth immediately everything is pointing towards his death. The, 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 yeah. like, guess, guess what? Who? Fulton Sheen says <laughs> the, um, the cross hangs its shadow across. The, the, there's a, the shadow of the cross is always present in Jesus' life, and as he gets closer to it, then it gets bigger, but it's always there. Mm-hmm. And so, I, th- I mean, I think that would be one way yeah. uh, to, to try and think of it. Yeah. And I think we mentioned this possibly in a, a past um, – podcast about the sorrows of Mary, but I never thought of it this way, but in uh, at the Simeon's prophecy at the presentation of the temple, the idea that um, we don't know, like as humans, right, um, like what's going to play out in the life. Like we can have a general idea that there's going to be struggles, there's mm-hmm. going to be mm-hmm. joys, um, but that uh, I think it was St. Alphonsus Liguori who said this, that that's a mercy that God bestows on oh. us by not 
telling us what the yeah. future is going to hold <laughs> because having to live like if we didn't know mm-hmm. all of the pains oh, then having yeah. to live that every day would be too much for our hearts right. to bear wow but with mary um she was not granted that same mercy right at the presentation of jesus Oof. in the temple she was told yeah. a sort of sorrow will pierce your heart and that that mm. she was that from that she knew that shadow would be there yeah. and, and the pain would be there like reliving um what is to come yeah. at every moment i just couldn't imagine and so when you know when we think about mary saying yes and and the greatness of her yes mm-hmm. and what that means um and i think too for for us, even if we, even though we won't be called to actually take um, Christ in the manner that she did into our lives, like as Catholics, we do receive Christ in the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Like we, we take Him, we take Him in His Word, mm-hmm. and hopefully the the love of of Christ and Him in the sacraments um, become like we we can, I guess, through our words and our actions, make the living Christ real for ourselves and for other people. Right? We are called to share that. But also knowing that that does call for um, a conversion, mm-hmm. right? That does call for um, and an ongoing conversion, yeah. Right? Presumably, hopefully, a deepening of yeah. that. Yeah. Wow. And that it, it that it is um it's a different way of living, mm-hmm. right? It's not just making one courageous choice or one courageous decision, one faithful decision, right. but that it is it really is life altering. It alters what you do. It alters mm. your thoughts. At well, it should. Your thoughts, your attitudes, um, what you give to Christ, what you give to others. Um, I mean, it should. It should permeate every part of what mm-hmm. of what we do. And sometimes I, I think about like when a woman is pregnant, like she has, she really has to think about everything. What is she eating? Mm-hmm. Is it good for the baby? Um, is it good for me? How much sleep do I need? And all of it. It's it's never a choice. For just yourself, right? right? And in the same way, when we are called to be bearers of Christ and His Word and His truth, right, that that, that is also part of our thought, right? Um, is everything that we're doing, are we thinking about, is this because there's someone else to consider. There's mm-hmm. lots of other people to mm-hmm. consider when when bearing Christ's truth to the world. Right. So awesome. Anything else? You guys want to add another Man. Fulton Sheen <laughs> reference? My brain. I feel like we should get it up to ten. I, I think know, we're right? only at six. <laughs> um, but we are nearing a close. I just wanted to see if any of you guys had any thoughts um, before we sort of get into our into the chariot moment. I guess just one thing that that I, I had thought would be important to say at some point, and and that's that um, this whole idea of the Annunciation or even the Immaculate Conception, which we talked some about. Uh, just a, a real obvious thing that maybe a lot of people don't think of, um, and that's the, in, in the catechism, it gives, you, it gives you a good sense of, like, where these fit together. Um, so sometimes I think it's weird for, for people who are maybe not super into their Catholic faith or who aren't Catholic, the way that we talk with such esteem for Mary mm-hmm. uh, may seem a little bit out of place or, or strange. Um, but I, I discovered this as I was teaching a class once in, in, in the catechism, if you're flipping through it, you, in order to get to the section that talks about the Marian doctrines, you have to be reading the Christology section. So you have to get several, you know, articles into the discussion of Jesus before you then stop 
and read about Mary, and then you go back to reading about Jesus. And it's, so the discussion we've had here is not just to raise Mary up by herself, uh, but, but because of the, in the Annunciation, she's, she's important because of what she's going to do and who she's going to bring. And so it, it's not to say that you know, to think about Mary or how can we be more like her is this sort of strange side task. But precisely in being like Mary, we become the first, we become like the first disciple yes. um, who's, who is one of the ones that's there at the cross, unlike any of his other actual disciples, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that, that's, that's just something really important to, to remember that Mary's important because of her role in Christ's life. And because at the end of Christ's life, he gives Mary to the church as a mother for us all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that the, the, you, you don't get one without the other. Exactly. Yeah. Is it Fulton Sheen that said Mary is like the moon? She reflects, she can only reflect the light of, of her. So she's not in the sun. She's only going to reflect that light. It could be, but I don't. I don't know that line. We'll just, yeah. We could just say, it, give a we'll sheen just, counter a half, one more, one more day. That's a half yeah. half sheen reference. Um, yeah, and I think too. Um, and one of the things that um, in any conversation I have about Mary, like when I'm teaching or with anybody else, it's you know her last recorded words in scripture are from the wedding feast mm-hmm. of Cana, mm-hmm. um, and she tells the the waiters, "Do whatever he tells you." And when I think about in really any of these doctrines of Mary, any of the teachings, or when we talk about her, like that you know that's what she does right and so we cannot grow closer to her without also growing closer to Christ right yeah. that she's constantly pointing mm-hmm. us to her son and so mm-hmm. that's always helped me i don't know if it's helpful to anybody else but you know, do whatever he tells you all right so any other final words I think it's uh, into the chariot time it is into the chariot time so this is a time in the show where we like to give you like ho- i like to call it homework homework some sort of practical advice um or uh some practical step to take um to take what we've talked about today and um try to live it or to think about it or to pray upon it so um i'm gonna give i I only had one earlier but i'm gonna give two now Uh, we talked about the magnificat i did find where that is in scripture so one of my into the chariot would be to go and read the the magnificat it is luke 1 uh, starting at verse 46 through 56. So um, open up your open up your Bible, go to that, um, and sit with it. Like do what Mary does and, and ponder it. Don't just like read it and be like, check, I did my homework. Um, but can really add, sit with that. Can I add to that? Please. Also, if you if you've done that or if you're going to do that, look at the first book of Samuel, chapter two, nice. and read Hannah's song, and and note. The obvious similarities between them. Yeah, I didn't actually know. I mean, I knew about Hannah's prayer, and I knew about the Magnificat. Because uh, another sort of crazy fun story is that after after nine years and two adopted children, my husband and I were able to have our son Samuel. Mm-hmm. But I remember years and years before we even thought that was a possibility. I remember reading Hannah's story, and I'm mm. like, because she, if for those of you who don't know Hannah, you should read the book of Samuel for Samuel, and she prayed and prayed for a son and she promised God that if he granted her a son that she would dedicate that son to him that um and so I, was, I remember thinking if I ever have a son he's gonna be named Samuel and so now I have this like 
Mary's mm-hmm. Magnificat, and mm-hmm. then the Prayer mm-hmm. of Hannah. But I, I've never until yesterday mm-hmm. really thought to um, compare those two. And for me, it has been a wonderful journey as a mom mm-hmm. yeah. uh, to do that. So I do recommend that you do that. I actually have, I have both of them here, so we can even put it in the show notes. Perfect. But it's really good to open up your Bible and yes. look at those. <laughs> so, um, uh, and one of the other Into the Chariots I have is um, to pray the Angelus. Because uh, the Angelus is an ancient prayer of the church um, that highlights what happened at the Annunciation. So the words of um, everything that we read, or most of the words of what we read in the Annunciation, um, and uh, traditionally it said at 6, 12, and 6, so 6 in the morning at noon and 6 p.m. Um, but even if you can't do that, just maybe try to make it every day, like when you say grace before lunch or dinner. Um, but it just reminds us of this moment of, of the angel declaring to Mary, of her response, mm-hmm. um, and, and the, the, um, her fiat, right? Her saying yes to, to Christ. So that would be my two. So the Magnificat, mm-hmm. Hannah's, prayer, Hannah's Prayer, and the um, Angelus. Nice. You have any into the chariot? No, that's. I think that's enough homework. Yeah, for, <laughs> sounds good <laughs> for it's everyone good. for this episode. Well, this is fun. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed this is it. Good, and we're excited to just bring more podcast episodes. Um, we you'll see more with Mickey and I, and soon to be Doctor Luke Arredondo. Yes. <laughs> Please pray. When this airs, I should be five days from my defense. Please pray. Please pray for for Luke. Um, and we've got other episodes with the bishop, Doctor Trusenkos. Uh, Doug Berry, Father Braun, and other special guests. Uh, but we we are really interested to hear what folks want to hear episodes on. So feel free to um, email us at podcast at stphilipinstitute.org. Um, but also give us a rating on iTunes, and that will help us to uh, reach more folks <laughs> on on the interwebs. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube, and check out our website, which looks really really nice. We got a we got a makeover. And that's stphilipinstitute.org. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, we will now end with an apostolic blessing from the bishop. The Lord be with you, and may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.